This episode of Madison Story Slam and every episode of Madison Story Slam is sponsored by Ale Asylum. This episode is also sponsored by Resolution Therapeutic Massage. Thank you, Ale Asylum and Resolution, for helping support what we do. Hello and welcome to Madison Story Slam. This is the podcast where you come to hear some amazing stories that are true, told by amazing people who are also true. I mean, it's true that they're people. They're real stories, real true stories from real true people. Maybe that should be our new tagline. No, I don't think so. I still like building community through storytelling, which is what we do. I have been working on something this week that I am really excited to tell you about eventually. I can't quite yet, but uh, what I have been working on has reminded me so much that what we do is build community through storytelling, and I'm so grateful that we do. I'm grateful for every single one of you in our community, whether you come to Story Slam to hear or tell stories, or maybe the way that you participate in the community is you listen to the podcast. And let me tell you, that is a huge way that you participate in this. But if you want to participate more, you could share some episodes on your social media with your friends and family. You could leave us a rating and a review on iTunes. Or what you could do is go to patreon.com slash Madison Story Slam and you can help us there by supporting the show. On this episode, we have the remaining stories from our April event, which was Child's Play. We have amazing stories, so get ready to hear some of those. But before we play those for you, I need to tell you our next Story Slam event is this coming Saturday at the Wilmar Center. That's Saturday, May 19th at the Wilmar Center. It's it's the last one of our regular season. We usually go August through May, and the theme is redemption so you should come ready to hear some great redemptive stories and you should come ready to share some great redemptive stories because we really need those stories but we are doing one extra story slam this summer we have always wanted to do an outdoor event in the summer so on june 10th sunday june 10th at robinia courtyard in madison wisconsin we are doing a story slam with the theme of thank you for your service We are looking for stories from people working in the food service industry. But if you have a story that fits that theme in any kind of way, we want to hear that. So come and have a great time with us at our first outdoor event ever. It's going to be awesome. And if that one goes well, we may have one in July as well. So we'll see you then. All right. Enough of me blabbing and doing all this intro stuff. You came to hear stories. We've got stories. So without further ado, here are the rest of the stories from April's event, Child's Play. And up first, it's Rebecca. So I will never forget when I was 14 years old, I made the transition from my sketchy Christian private school to public school. And it sounds like there are a lot of people that come from that background too that have told stories tonight. So I want you guys to picture this, like private schools in the basement of a Moravian church. We're learning Latin, like 
basically group homeschooling. That would be generous. So I make the transition from this private school to public school at 14, and like I might look like a normal kid, but I am a weird alien person trapped in a 14-year-old's body. And this was really evidenced when like the most popular girl in school, you know, she's talking to me, and like this is kind of a big deal. I'm a new girl, and she's paying attention to me, and she's telling me all about her boyfriend in seventh grade and like their relationship and all of that. And I just stop her and I turn to her and I'm like, do you really think that's gonna last? <laughs> so that was me. I've kind of always been, just because of my, you know, really conservative Christian upbringing, I've always felt like I've been a bit of like an old person trapped in a young person's body. So it shouldn't surprise you when I tell you that like one of my best friends in the world, like ride or die sort of a friend, is a 67-year-old Jewish man from Boston named Mark. So Mark and I actually met when I was living in Zanzibar, and I was working as a director of a study abroad program there, and um, I had an apartment with two bedrooms, and I was looking to rent out the second room, and um, Mark was like a visiting lecturer at the university, and I was like, okay, some random old dude from Boston wants to rent out my room. Like, I wasn't really sure about it, but I was like, okay, what the heck, let's do it. Um, but actually, like, Mark and I, like, became best friends. Like, it, it was the best living situation ever. Like, Mark, Mark and I, we'd go grocery shopping together. Like, I'd come home every day from work, and he'd just be, like, cooking dinner for us, and we'd watch movies together and talk about weird ideas like we just love to do. Like, seriously, it was just the best friendship ever, and what was so great about it was because there was that age gap, like, and I would describe Mark as sort of, like, a young person trapped in an old person's body. So, so it worked out really well. And um, yeah, we just, had, we just had so much fun together and Mark really like, played like sort of a unconventional father figure role in my life. And um, after I left Zanzibar, I didn't know, I felt really sad because I didn't know like, would I ever get this opportunity to like, feel this close with Mark again or to just spend so much time with like, a really positive um, older mentor. But then, this last year, I had to go to, back to Zanzibar to do like a month's work of contract work, and Mark was actually there back at the university teaching for a semester, and Mark had the extra room. So Mark and I got to live together again, and I was so excited. And um, I was really excited because Mark plays a role in my life where like he knows that I'm like kind of, I can be an old person trapped in a young person's body. So he's always encouraging me to like step out and to act my age and like do young person things. So I was excited to come back to Zanzibar and to tell Mark that like at 26 years old for the first time in my life, I smoked weed. <laughs> this is very ironic that it's 4, 421. So yeah. Um, anyway, so. Yeah, I was really excited to tell Mark, like, I smoked weed because I knew, like, he would be, like, really excited for me, like, congrats, Rebecca, you did something that people do when they're, like, 17 years old, usually. Um, yeah, so I tell him, and he's just, like, he's going on about all these stories from his youth of, like, when, you know, he'd, like, smoke with his friends, and I could just see, like, so much nostalgia in his eyes. And then, eventually, you know, his gaze kind of trailed off, and he was, like, you know, like my, my stepson, he asked me a few months back if, if I would smoke weed with him, and like, I really wanted to. Like, I thought it would be a really fun, weird bonding experience, but like, my wife, she doesn't, she doesn't think it's a good idea. And then silence sort of filled the room. And I was like, Mark, 
do you want to smoke weed with me? <laughs> and he was like, yes, absolutely, yes. <laughs> so, I mean, this is, this is really unplanned. Like, I'm not going to Zanzibar with this, you know, with any kind of intentions of doing this, but it's like, Mark and I are back together. This is just a golden opportunity. I have to, I have to do it. This is once in a lifetime. So, um, Mark and I are going to pass the peace pipe together. This is what dreams are made of. So it's my job to get the weed, because it'd be really weird, Mark, as like a 67-year-old man going around like trying to ask people for weed. It'd just look creepy, so I have to get it. And I, I have no idea where to start, because Zanzibar is like a super small island. It's 99% Muslim, like very conservative. Everyone is watching everyone. Like there's a gossip culture. So I have to be really, really careful. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know where I'm going to get this. Or like, how's this going to happen? But I need to do this. So then I remembered that Zanzibar has like a small like Rastafarian community. And I remembered that my old neighbor, Salum, what, you know, had really long dreads and he was a part of that Rastafarian community. And I'm like, all right, I'm gonna call Salum. He's gonna have the hookups. So I go on my phone and I'm like looking to see, you know, if his contact is still there. I'm looking under S and it's not there. And I must have deleted it and I'm like, shoot. Like, th this was my one hookup, and, and like, I don't know where I'm going to find it from now. And then I remembered that, like, a lot of people in Zanzibar that work in the tourist industry will, like, come up with other names to use, like, because it's maybe easier for tourists to remember or pronounce, and it's also sort of like a street cred thing, like a rap, think of it like a rapper name or something like that. And then I remember that Salum had another name, and his other name was Okie Dokie. <laughs> So then I look at my phone and I'm like, oh, there it is, okie dokie, I scheduled the meeting. So <laughs> I go to meet up with okie dokie and like, I really got to play this cool because it's like, yeah, we know each other, we used to be neighbors, but like, I, like people know me here, I like, can't make any, any assumptions. So um, I use what's called equivocal communication if you're like a language nerd like me. Anyway, so it's like indirect speech. So I'm like, Salum you know, so good to see you, like, I gotta tell you, Salum, I have, um, you know, I have this neighbor from Canada, and uh, my neighbor has, like, chronic pain, and, like, would you believe this? In Canada, marijuana is legal, and people will use it to treat chronic pain, and, like, my neighbor just moved here, and they don't speak Swahili, and they don't know anyone, and they asked me if I could help them. So, can, do you think that you could help me help my neighbor? And then he looked at me and he was like, okie dokie. <laughs> so step one complete, I have secured the weed. Um, but now a greater challenge laid in front of me. Um, Mark didn't want to like attract any attention by like having smoke in our apartment or anything like that. So he had said like, okay, I, I want to do this, but like let's, let's do weed edibles. And um, I had no idea, I've never like done one or never didn't know anything about it, so I had to like learn how to make weed edibles. So I like do some research online, and um, I see that it's like a very entailed process and involves like a slow cooker and just yeah, it, it's it's very drawn out. And I basically have like a camping stove, a propane tank, like a frying pan and a spatula. That's what I have at my disposal. And I'm like, okay, this might discourage some people, but like. You know, being a nerdy girl, I'm like, I have three years of advanced chemistry under my belt, and it's, it's time for Heisenberg to spread her wings and fly. <laughs> <laughs> 
so I do it. And like, since I don't have an oven, I just have a stove, like what can you make with a frying pan? Pancakes. But these, these were not just any pancakes. These were pumpkin spice weed pancakes. Eat your heart out, Pinterest. <laughs> so I make these pancakes. And if, if you've never smoked weed before, never done a weed edible, what I like to describe it as, it's like you're sealing yourself into a rocket ship with another person. And you're like, I don't know if this ship is gonna take off, or I don't know if I'm gonna go flying into outer space. But like, you're committing to that journey, and that's, that's what's really great about it. That's what's bonding about it. So Mark and I, we seal ourselves into the rocket ship, we eat the pumpkin spice special pancakes, and then you know we're waiting around. And we're just talking and having fun, and we're supposed to feel something after like an hour, maybe hour and a half, and an hour and a half passes by and nothing. So I figured like, okay, the heat was too high in the propane stove, like I must have burnt the weed and these are, these are trash. So then we get a text from someone saying that there's a film screening that night at the local cinema and that we should come. So we're like, okay, yeah, these don't work, let's go. So we walk over to the, <laughs> the cinema and like before the, before the screen, they have like a little happy hour thing. And um, Mark and I are both pretty social, so we're just like milling around and talking to people. And like, I notice that I'm like kind of getting more friendly and more giggly. And like, I, I feel like I'm not that funny. I think I'm funny, but most other people don't think I'm funny. But then I know just like my jokes are coming out. And um, then I'm like, okay, I think I might be feeling something. And then I'm like, I wonder if Mark's feeling something. I'm like scanning the room looking for him and he's by the snack table. <laughs> and he's got like a kebab full of pineapple and he's just like, he's just munching on it. And he's just like nodding and smiling like, I am, I am having the best day of my life. <laughs> so you're like, I'm like, you know, the rocket ship is starting to take off. And I like kind of saunter over to Mark and I'm like, you feeling anything? <laughs> He's like, yeah, yeah, I am. So then we're like, okay, we gotta play this cool. Uh, let's just, let's go into the movie theater, let's sit down and we'll just wait for the movie to start. So we go into the theater, we're sitting down and both of us are just kind of like giggling and just trying not to, trying not to let, be too weird. And um, I'm, I'm just kind of observing everything that's going on in the room. And there's one girl that's standing like right in the aisle, right next to me. And she was like having a conversation with someone in the back of the room. And I remember I heard her say so clearly, like, a little bit of what? And immediately I was like, a little bit of Monica in my life. <laughs> and then Mark was like, shh, you're going to get us found out. <laughs> so we might as well have been like a couple of teenagers, but just like this weird 26-year-old girl and 67-year-old man giggling in a movie theater. So we didn't get found out. We watched the movie. It was great. And um, at the end of the night, we decided to head home. So we were heading home. And on our walk back, I heard someone say, Rebecca? And I turn around, and who is it? Okie dokie. And he's like, Rebecca, who you need to Canada? And I'm, Rebecca, is this your Canadian neighbor? And, and then, like, Marcus, he's out in outer space at this point, and he just, like, gives a thumbs up. <laughs> so, anyways, we spent the night uh, walking down the narrow alleyways of Stonetown, just enjoying each other's company and talking about weird ideas, savoring this unconventional friendship and this weird night of pumpkin spice weed pancakes. <laughs> Thank you.
Thank you, Rebecca. Our next storyteller has never told a story at Story Slam. Please put your hands together for John DeBacher. Thank you. Yeah, I, I think I'll cover most of those topics tonight. Um, but the uh, child, uh, child's play, you know, that's a tough one. You know, I, I, had, I had very little childhood. Um, but I'll tell you, I'll, I'll give you the bookends. Let me start off at the beginning. Genesis. I want to take you back to Elmwood, Illinois, Mother's Day weekend, 1955. My parents had packed their four children at the time, my two older brothers and older sisters, into the Packard and head, headed down from our suburb of Chicago to Elmwood, somewhere down in the Peoria, from whence my father, some of his family had come. Um, his parents lived there, so I don't know, they must have had uh, food, maybe some whining and dining, surely some whining from my brothers and sisters. They were packed off to bed, and for some reason my parents ended up in the loosely sprung former double bed or double bed of my paternal grandparents or one that they'd moved out of or something. Whatever, you know, you know how the springs kind of sag and everything kind of rolls into the middle. Well, by this point, my parents, I don't know whether it was through some family planning ideas that four is enough, we better stop. Um, or if it was because at this time my father was already fairly manic depressive and my mother was probably withholding things to try to control his behavior. But one thing led to another and maybe uh, they gave it another go and sure enough, nine months later, double indemnity. My twin sister and I emerged onto the world. And yeah, like I say, my, my, my childhood was as uh, miserable as the next bastards. I think James Thurber said that. Um, you know, a lot of this uh, child's play, I was right in the middle of the baby boom. So this whole idea of like watching all of the, um, you know, serial watching all of the uh, detective shows of the 90s, there were no options. You had like five stations and maybe one or two fuzzy ones on UHF. And that was if your antenna worked well. There was no recording, there was no, you know, you, you lived for shows that were on weekly and, and that was it, that was your one shot. Um, but, uh, so, you know, we had to play outside a lot. We were sent outside a lot. There were too many of us. They needed to thin us out, I really think so. The playgrounds were uh, basically asphalt. None of this, you know, 15 inches of compressible material. No, it was asphalt. And they'd sink. Monkey bars were made out of uh, electrical conduit and, and U-clamps and things. And, and the, and the uh, slides, you know, were way high. And they had these hook things so that and they put us in these hoodies with drawstrings, just hoping we'd strangulate ourselves on the way down. Um, and the, you know, the spinny thing at McDonald's, yeah, they had those on the playground. They were 
big and you could like fling kids uh, halfway across the playground. So there, you know, safety was nothing. It was, it was you know, we, we joke with our kids about, oh, go play in the street. That's what we did when we were children. It was, you know, maybe it was a safer time. We talk fondly, you know, you forget things. There's those wonderful days of our youth. So yeah, that was, uh, that was childhood. Um, you know, the whole thing with, uh, there's a, a lot of religious uh, overtones of being raised religious. Well, my parents, I think our older brothers and sisters may have been baptized. I know they went to some things at the Presbyterian Church. Liza and I, my twin sister and I, we were the controls in the family. So we were the, the heathens of the bunch. <laughs> we moved one year to a suburb of Cleveland because my dad, he's, you know, he's bipolar. So he'd get way rung up in his executive jobs and want to like reinvent the company. And then suddenly he's at, at home and he's depressed. But So we had to move to to Cleveland where he got to be vice president of the Rigid Tool Company. You, you know, they have rigid tools now, and they had the Rigid Tool girly calendars in many um, uh, mechanic stores then with the bikini-clad women holding the rigid tools. But that's all aside, it was a miserable year in that suburb of Cleveland. We moved into a fairly new, fairly sterile um, subdivision, and everyone, all the kids around there, went to the Catholic school. I was the worst one off. Well, no, no, there was a Jewish kid on the next block. He was worse off than I was. But um, we were both marked. We were it first, you know, in any of the games and stuff. I didn't remember having any fun. And my twin sister tells me years later, oh, I had a blast. She had a first floor bedroom. She'd open up the get out the window at night and go play whatever, kick the can and things with the damn Catholic kids, but whatever. Now, I don't have any resentments about it or anything like that. I'm fully over it now. So we get up to back, move back to uh, the Chicago area and um, um, junior high, we called it junior high back then. I don't know where middle school came in. It was the same. It was like sixth, seventh, eighth grade. Well, this, these were changing times in the uh, late 60s. And so they had a notion that they ought to give some education to these budding young people. So this is the other bookend of my childhood. Um, but they had to be safe, too. So they couldn't insert it into the curriculum, so to speak. They had it in the evening. And because I think they thought young women mature more quickly than young men, they ought to learn about these things first. So the first night, my mommy took my sister off to hear the doctor talk about the change, the changes. Well, the next day at school, on the playground, in the classroom, in the lunchroom, on the bus to and from school, we boys knew that they knew and we hadn't gotten any of it yet. And they're trying to work me over. You know, did you find anything out of breakfast? Did you find? I'm like, I, I don't know. They got like some almond things in them, and um, I, they'll bleed. They're going to bleed at some. T I don't know. And so <laughs> that night, Dad takes me into the car, and we go off to the high school, and we get our turn. The dads are sitting in the back of the room for their edification. We're sitting in the front for our amusement, and we're like sixth, sixth grade boys. We're already like, you know, sitting around, you know, ready to take notes like we usually do, drawing penises, and you know, that's what boys, there's, there's the, there's, oh, or boobs. Boobs or penises, that's what you drew. 
I got really good at it. I got, you know, a couple years later, I had it worked out where I had um, uh, walking, uh, I think it was Dick Head, and it was like a huge proboscis nose and these enormous cheeks, and he'd be marching down. But this was a serious night, and Dr. Fitch came out. Dr. Fitch had a voice that he could modulate from the dramatic lows up to some exciting punctuated eyes and he'd talk to us about all of the in incredible plumbing systems and internal systems and frightening things. I think we saw a movie about the boys maturing and we found out about that some, the testicles don't descend or maybe only one and we're looking around at, you know, oh no, I'm, I'm fine, you know, who's got the, who's the single dangler? Or, or, or sometimes they go back up again and I'm, oh no, no, no. And, um, so he'd, 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 for dramatic emphasis, he'd, he'd pull out model wombs, little wombs, plastic wombs from his pocket. Or he'd take his pencil out and say, the ovum is about the size of the tip of this pencil. And then after, it's, well, we learned lots of great things. You know, there were the incredible words, fallopia, glands, smegma. So I, you know, I had the names of my first two children and my dog. And you know, you take your name, pick on which one of those. But uh, I got vetoed on all of those at one time or another. So we're, we're going through this, learning all about, and he talked talk, talk to us about the incredible male HVAC system, the air conditioning system of the young man. And we're like, where are all of these coils and condensers and things? And, you know, it wasn't until years later on, uh, you know, with, on Seinfeld, we heard George talk about the shrinkage factor. And, oh, that's, uh, that all put it together. Or you know, we had the earlier story about the, um, the ch church-inspired zip lines, uh, naked. But that was it. We had our education that night. And after that, childhood was over. And we were all in for a new chapter from then on. Thank you very much. Our next storyteller has told many stories about the times that he has had sex. Please give it up. Please give it up for Zachary Shea. That is true. And brief aside story, I, I give my mother a call uh, last Sunday, just sort of a Hi, how are you, Mom? And she goes, so I started listening to that podcast that you're in. The Story Slam one. And I go, oh, yeah? Which one? And she goes, all of them. <laughs> so that's a thing I have to live with now. Child's play. Uh, I was a kid actor, so I've been in a couple of child's plays. Give me a 10 for theme right there, right now, 10. But one <laughs> uh, I can think of in particular, I actually wasn't really a child for though. I was in a production of Peter Pan. I know, look at me, duh. Um, <laughs> I was not the titular Peter Pan, I did want to be. Uh, unfortunately, I was at an age where my bald spot was starting to develop. 
Um, so I lost out on that one, but I got to be slightly, for those of you who don't remember your Lost Boys, slightly is the asshole, um, which was a good fit. Um, and during, when we started this play, I got to, I got to be a bit of an asshole, just sort of around in general, and I developed these tendencies. The other Lost Boys, the, the, other, uh, the other guys and gals who got cast as Lost Boys were pretty good sports about pretty much anything, so we became sort of problem, a problem in the cast. We were troublemakers, and we had this big, huge set to climb on. It was made of construction scaffolding and we would climb around on it and climb up, and the director would tell us, you can only climb up it in this way, and we would climb up it in any way we want. There was actually a fire pole that went all the way up to the lighting grid, and I would climb it during the show to the very top, to the point where the light, the stage light, was right in my face. I hit my head a couple times on it. A lot of people got hurt during that show, actually. At one point, we had a 10-foot-tall platform and a sword, one of the pirate sword, fell off and landed on one of the pirates mid-performance and gashed his chest open. And that's not the worst one. <laughs> the worst one was actually from uh, one of our first actual production uh, shows with the audience in. And we're lumbering around this big, huge set, and the Lost Boys, of course, for our appearance, we all poke our heads out of all different areas, and we jump around, and we jump off in inappropriate ways. And one of the Lost Boys, one of the largest Lost Boys, uh, a guy named Weston, who was a very, very funny guy who played the second twin, would leap around and come down, and he would say something stupid, and I would hit him on the head. And we did that every night pretty reliably, and every night I was like, are you okay? Am I actually, you know, am I hitting you too hard? And he's like, no, you're fine. Don't even worry about it. And we get an audience, and he jumps up. And he's on that 10-foot platform that the sword fell off of during our introduction scene. He says his stupid thing. He leaps from the 10-foot platform to the 5-foot platform, and the 5-foot platform shatters. And he rolls like head, first his head hits the floor, and he does a tumble into the audience. And Weston is an energetic guy. He jumps back up, and he runs to me and gets into his spot, and there's splinters in his head. But he's like presenting it, like, this is the part where you hit me, and I don't want to do that. But luckily for me, he was playing uh, twin number two. So there's two twins, twin one, the first twin, and second twin is what they're called in the script. So I get the bright idea. It's the middle of a show. I don't know what to do. I turn around, and I hit twin one in the head. <laughs> for what Twin 2 did, and she didn't know it was coming. <laughs> so we keep going with the show, and everyone turns out okay. 
Although we all are incredibly worried, and we gather around Weston after the show, and we make sure he's fine, and the director comes backstage, and she's like, no more jumping around the set, but we didn't stop. We did it for the whole time. Just a short one tonight, and I never know how to end these things, so thanks for listening. Resolution Therapeutic Massage is an established massage therapy clinic in downtown Madison, Wisconsin, specializing in custom massages. Their therapeutic approach is ideal for student athletes, traveling professionals, top performers, and anyone who needs their body and mind to be at peak condition. The therapists at Resolution will evaluate your muscle response and select the best technique for your tailored massage. Clients often experience relief from acute pain after one session and relief from chronic pain after three sessions. Packages for ongoing support are available at a discounted rate. So whether you just want to relax or you need some therapeutic or deep tissue massage, visit our friends at Resolution Therapeutic Massage by visiting resolutionmassage.com. On the site, you can see all the services that they offer. And I'll tell you what, If you call them and set up your first session with them, you get $5 off if you mention that you heard about them through Madison Story Slam. That's right, we bring you awesome stories and discounts on massages. Thank you, Resolution, for supporting what we're doing with Madison Story Slam. And now we're going to go back to the rest of the Child's Play stories. Hi. Good to see you. I'm glad you're seeing me. Good, good. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Adam. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, I guess this is a story of redemption, I suppose. I don't know. It turns out that um, I will wet my bed like constantly. And, uh, you know, I went to school and I was still wet in my bed. I went to first grade when I was five years old, so I skipped a little kindergarten thing, which didn't work very well. But when I got to second grade, I'd, um, no, in first grade, when I was in first grade, I would pee. And the thing about it was that I would raise my hand and I will ask the teacher to please let me go to the bathroom. And for some reason, she figured that I had to be taught to, I guess, have more control. And so she wouldn't let me. She would just make me suffer. And I will all raise my hand and I'll say, So I will have a spot right in front of me whenever the school was out. And so I will run to the front of the line because we'll do, you know, third grade, second grade, first grade kindergartens. And I didn't want to be in the first grade because everybody would know who I was and that my spot was, you know, all wet. And so everybody will make fun of me and the bullies will have more to bully me about. So I will run up to like the third graders. And then the teachers will know me and they go, oh, you did it again, eh? And they're like, they're like yeah, fuck you. <laughs> so, I pee in the classroom, 
because I asked for her to let me go, and I guess she wouldn't. So I said, well, screw it. I'm not peeing in my pants. I'm going to pee right here. So I just. <laughs> and for some reason, somebody decided that I was to be blamed for things that I was doing, and he will go tell the teacher. So the teacher got the great idea that we were going to change the furniture around. And she came straight at me, and she opens, you know, move the desks about around, and there's a puddle right there. And she goes, oh, who did that? Who did that? And like three kids pointed fingers at me. And I grabbed the first kid's finger, and I point at him, and then I see three fingers going right to him. That beautiful? That's all you have to do. I didn't have to say anything. Just grab the finger and point at the guy that's pointing at me, and then everybody just, yeah. That's how fickle we are. Yeah, what the heck? And so he, he got blamed for it. Ah, that was the best day of my life, man. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, then I went to third grade, and that was okay. Fourth grade. Third grade was like the best freaking student in the classroom. Just the best student. And fourth grade, yeah, I started slowing down a bit. And in fifth, in fifth grade, I guess I came on my own, you know, and I decided I'll be a grown-up or something. And it, it, it happens to be, like, uh, the best teacher I had was my third-grade teacher. And in fifth grade, they decided to bring a foreigner to teach us English. And she was a beautiful woman. And I liked her. And she decided we'll have a play. And so my father always told me, you got to be up there. You got to say something. Raise your hand. Volunteer. Answer the questions. Be a man. Be strong. Be the best. And I'm like, ah. You know, it's been like God, 11 years he's been telling me this thing. You know, I was like, ah. So I volunteer. And I became uh, aboriginal Colombian Aboriginal, whatever that means, but I could say, Bisate, Bisate, Chu, Caribomba, Seraba, Chu, Le Falta, La Cachibache, Mariabe, Mariabe, Chu. And it's a prayer from a tribe in Colombia. And so the teacher, so the English teacher said, Oh, wow, this is great. So he puts me out there in the play, and that's all I had to do. But when I got up there and I put that lens down, what I felt was I needed to pee. And I went through the whole thing, Visate, Visate, Chukaribomba, Serapachu. And they went, oh, yeah, that means yes. And like, that was the joke of the whole thing. And I'm supposed to stay there for like another half an hour, and I'm peeing in my pants. I'm like holding this thing. And I'm thinking of all the things about peeing in the bed and how people made fun of me and how I would run up when I was in second, first grade, and like, oh, and I'm, and I'm like holding this thing, so I start dancing. And I start just moving around and going around, and the teacher says, hey, you're not supposed to do that, and they call me to the back room, and he says, what's the matter with you? And I say, well, I wanna dance, I wanna move around, and they're like, don't understand what's going on, so they push me back out there. And so I'm like, boom, I get up there, and I say, well, Fuck it all. I don't care. I don't care. Even if the woman I like is there looking at me. So I pee. <laughs> and I stood there proud that I was doing this. 
because I did not give a crap. Because if you're gonna put me up here, then like damn freaking frack make fun of me. I'm peeing and I peed with pride. <laughs> and everybody's got his point, everybody's pointing at me and, and giggling and I'm saying like, ah, I'm becoming famous here. <laughs> this is awesome. And then the show was over and I ran to the bathroom, took my underwear off and, because I was wearing feathers, that's all I had. <laughs> Underwear and feathers on top of that. And then they could see the water just running down. But they could see my pride on it. Grow up. Pee in front of people. Thank you very much. Our next storyteller has never told a story here before. Please put your hands together for Rebecca Spindler. Thank you, thank you. Double mic'd, I feel like like I'm at the White House press conference or something with all these mics up here. Okay, so um, I, I uh, have gone to a poetry slam before, but I've never participated in this. Um, I am a uh, author and an award-winning screenwriter, and I feel very privileged, and thank you for letting me be part of your community here. All right, so I saw the thing about um, kids. Make them, love them, or hate them. Um, I've, I've done all. So, <laughs> but I want to say that you don't have a kid, you create a kid. You have a car and you have a dog, but as women, we have the power and the ability to create kids. Even if you adopt, you are still creating the body and the mind of that child that's in your possession. So, what I have created is a lifetime of comic relief. Kids are awesome. And for every decade that we exist on this earth, we lose a part of our soul. But having young children around us, or any kids for that matter, replenishes that soul. So here's an example. So you know, you've got your kids strapped in the car seat in the back. They're like, what, 18 months or whatever. So they're fortunately able to maybe face forward at this point. And you know, you kind of lose track that you have the kid back there and you've got the oldie station on and it's ACDC and you're cranking it TNT with dynamite. And by the third stoplight, she's got it dynamite. And I'm like, yeah. And you crank it louder and you've got the windows down. And you and the 18 month old are dynamite. It's awesome. It's comic relief, it's a moment. Here's another example. So if you ever put a kid in preschool, it's your second mortgage, right? So it's obligatory that at least one time you have to show up as a parent volunteer. So the day that it's my turn to be parent volunteer, I'm there for like the two hour shift. And of course it's potty break. So I'm supposed to like, you know, filter the kids out in the hall. This is like the two, three-year-old room. Make sure that they you know, go where they're supposed to go. And at the particular preschool that my daughter went to, there wasn't a girl's room and a boy's room. It was just like everybody in there. And for the sake of easiness, this particular preschool did not have doors on the stalls. You know, the toilet is like this, this high off the ground, right? So they're all in there, and they're all doing their thing. You know, little legs are swinging. And the next thing you know, you got a friend in me. And then three more voices. And then you hear the little piddle, you're always gonna be my friend. 
one, and then the more piddle. And it's just like, this is awesome. <laughs> Again, another you know, comic relief snapshot. Then as my daughter gets older, the deep thinker sets in. Another dad was talking about you know, tooth fairy story. Here's my kid. You mean to tell me somebody comes in my room at night, stands over my bed, and watches me sleep, and then takes a part of my body and takes it somewhere? Like, does she have a cave where she stores everybody's teeth? And what does that look like? And my tooth had blood on it. So is there blood in the cave where she puts all these teeth? And why do I get a quarter for something that took six years to grow? Uh, you know, but I never realized that, that it is kind of a creepy concept that someone comes into your bedroom, watches you sleep, eerie, you know? And then she gets a little bit older, and then we're getting close to the middle school era, talking about the changing of the bodies and whatnot. You want me to use this razor where? Why do I have to shave my legs? Excellent question. I don't know but this is what I'm supposed to teach you. And then she joins the swim team, and the suits are hiked up to here. You want me to take this sharp blade and shave what where? I don't know, but this is what I'm teaching you. And then she gets into high school, and it's the boy talk. Mom, oh my god, this is so embarrassing. So I just do what my mom did, box of condoms, be responsible. So, you know, she watches Friends, she gets it. <laughs> but my point is, kids, love them, hate them, whatever. If you don't like kids, guess what? One of these days you're going to get old, you're going to turn 50, and you're going to need a colonoscopy, and one day it's going to be one of those kids that grows up that does that procedure. Kids are our future. Thank you. How you guys doing? Good, thanks for sticking around for me. Uh, so my name is Mike, which of course is short for Michael. It's a biblical name. So I wanted to start this off by just asking you guys, how many of you guys have read parts of the Bible? Good, how many of you read the book of Revelation? Well, I can tell you that if you've ever read the book of Revelation, you might know that in the very end, when Jesus comes back, there's an angel who kills Satan in the final battle to save the earth. I think I might be that angel. Yeah. And I'll tell you why, because I, I have been through so many near-death experiences that the fact that I'm here telling this story today, it has to be divine. So I'd like to tell you one of my near-death stories. Would you like to hear that? Yeah. All right. So I'll tell you, it was the 4th of July, and I was nine years old. Um, and I had a friend named John who lived four houses down from me. So there's two things to remember for this story. The first is that John's dad worked at a Ford factory, and he was crazy about cars. And in his off time, he would fix up old antique cars. He had a couple, like, 1920s Fords and a 1957 Chevy that he would just fix in his garage on his own time. It was actually worth about $1.3 million dollars in antique cars that he had. The second part to this story is that I had a plan to sleep on the back porch of John's house this night. Um, so we wanted to 
do like a like stay up until midnight. We bought our sleeping bags, you know. We were gonna tell ghost stories and all do all the like nine year old boy stuff that you don't do when your parents are around. So that's why we that was our plan. I came over and I I had everything set up and we you know for the first few hours we were hanging out there and uh, we were playing baseball, you know, um, throwing the ball around. And when it starts to get dark. We can see, you can see directly down to where my actual house was, my parents' house. And we see this guy in a, in a black outfit coming up to the, our, to the back side of the house, and he starts yanking on the window. And we're like, we literally looked at the, like over the fence, and we were like, I think he's robbing my house. And John's dad comes out, and he's like, yeah, I'm pretty sure he's robbing your house. You know? <laughs> so we were like, well, what do we do? What do we do? Do I call my dad? I don't, like, uh, but luckily, within a couple minutes, the cops came. So my dad, being the smart guy that he is, realized that someone was trying to rob his house and came and or called the cops. And we saw the cops, you know, handcuff this guy and taking him away. And John's mom, in this process, came out and was watching this with us. And she said, you know, I don't think this is a good idea for you guys to stay out tonight. Maybe it's not so safe. So... So the way that the house was set up is there's a house, and then there's the back porch, and within about five to seven feet was this garage. So we were going to obviously sleep on that back porch, um, but I, we didn't. So we came in, and we started watching a movie, and I remember it really clearly. Um, I was laying, you know when you're a kid, and you can kind of like lay on your stomach and put your your hands under and hold your head up and get as close to the TV and not go blind. So we're doing that. So that's what I'm doing. I'm watching a movie. Um, and of course, it's 4th of July. So we hear this loud boom. And we're like, well, it's fireworks. You know, maybe it was just a really loud one. So we go back to watching the movie. And then about two minutes later, we hear another boom. And then me and John really look at each other and we're like, hmm, I don't know. That, you know, a loud firecracker. Right? So we go back to watching the movie, and then another minute later, we hear a really loud boom! And we're like, okay, well, that's different. So we went, so we walked to the back of the house, and we opened the back door, and we see an enormous fireball that coming out of the garage, like a nuclear bomb exploded. The whole thing was up in flames. You see, what happened was John's aunt was in the middle of a divorce, and her soon-to-be ex-husband had snuck into the garage that night and lit all of the cars on fire. So all 1.3 million of them were gone. And the thing that I realized, I'm sitting here watching this, you know, this whole garage up in flames, and I'm thinking, you know, I we would have actually been out there right next to this garage if this guy down the road didn't come and rob my house. And I thought, well, thanks. <laughs> I, 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 wish I, I wish I could meet him in person and shake his hand. So some, but some, somehow, I've survived. And hopefully nothing like that ever happens again. Um, and probably it'll be my near-death experience when I'm killing Satan. So that's my story. <laughs> Thank you, Mike. I mixed up storytellers' names uh, when I introduced you. Our next storyteller is uh, Benjamin Wright. Please give it up for Benjamin Wright. Please. 
please, don't, don't clap yet. You haven't heard anything. Um, this is my first story here. Two things you have to know about me. One, I never really grew up. I'm still a kid. I mean, all right, so no, not really. I mean, so I'm a total freak, too, by the way. I once bought uh, the Kama Sutra Illustrated for my girlfriend, and I circled all of my favorite parts and gave it as a gift. I, it went over very, very well. I'll say that. But I'm, I'm still a kid. And the other thing is um, obsessive. I've been told I have, like, a one-track mind. It's true. So, like, Kurt Vonnegut or, like, Toy Story... Or like my latest kick is like pretending I'm a flat earther. <laughs> it's good. It's good. So by the way, like there's a, a lot of distances in the story. They're all like assuming the earth is a globe. This is a really anti-flat earth story. And they're all, they're all either measured from here in Madison or my hometown in Uxbridge, Massachusetts, or um, 20 Sekeli Bertalan Utsa in Budapest, Hungary. Um, so, so Here's the thing. So if there's one thing that I've obsessed about my whole life that's been more influential than anything, like with me from the start, it's Toy Story. The culmination of like all of literature from like Epic of Gilgamesh to the year 1995. And nothing has surpassed it since then, in my opinion. <laughs> Ladybird's come pretty close. It's come pretty close. But like, you have the first completely CGI movie of all time and you make it about like the imagination of a child. And I think like what, what, how inspiring. It still blows me away to this day. So anyway, Toy Story is like, by the way, I'm wearing my Pizza Planet t-shirt. <laughs> there's, a real, there's a real Pizza Planet. There's a real Pizza Planet. It's 1,316 miles away from here. It's in Orlando, Florida. I've been there. If there's like an actual planet that's like pizza, it's got to be at least 25,476,000 miles away. That's the closest a planet ever comes to Earth. <laughs> but anyway, so, so one day, so I'm in Budapest, and here's the other thing I'm obsessed about, trampolines. So I'm jumping on the trampolines in the park, and they're like half a mile from my apartment. I'm jumping on the trampolines, all the Hungarian kids are like, how is he getting so high? I'm like, I can't tell you, I don't speak Hungarian very well. So I'm wearing, I'm wearing my Toy Story 3 shirt. I'm wearing my T-shirt. I'm jumping on the trampolines, and I have my like Providence College hoodie on. Providence is 1,116 miles away, but it's where, I, it's where I went to college. It was 20 miles from my home, but it's that far away from here. So I have my Providence College... Uh, so I put my hoodie back on. I get off the trampolines. I go to my. I go take a nap in my apartment, 20 Sekli Bertalan Utsa. And I'm meeting my friend for lunch, a vegetarian restaurant called Tic Tac. It was 0.8 miles from my apartment. And uh, so I thought. I, I thought like, oh my god, I'm gonna shower before I go to lunch with my friend. But instead, I just took a nap. So I never got the chance to shower. But in my head, I'm like wearing my next T-shirt. Like I really care, I'm like obsessive. I like really care about what T-shirt that I'm wearing. So in my head, I've got my next T-shirt on and I forget that I have like my Toy Story 3 T-shirt on. So I'm like going to lunch with my friend. And when she tells me, oh, if I'm gonna like title this story, by the way, if you'll permit me, I call it Miles and Miles or A Morally Defensible Reason to Enter Hooters. 
I swear, I swear it's I swear it's a kid's story. So I have my Toy Story, I have my Toy Story three shirt on. So I'm going, I'm going to lunch, but I think I have like another t-shirt on. It's blocked by my hoodie. I can't see. My friend told me to get to this restaurant, go to Hooters, and then uh, take a left. And it's like Manhattan distance, so I might as well like go down Andrashi, and then I might as well like turn left and go to Hooters. Okay, and um, it was 0.8 miles away. But it's Manhattan distance. By the way, Manhattan is 944 miles away from here. So I go. So I'm walking by Hooters, and there's Buzz Lightyear, one of the Green Army Men, and Stinky Pete out smoking cigarettes. They say, "Oh, Andy's coming," and then they all go like. So I go to lunch with my friend. I forget I have my Toy Story shirt on. She says, "I say, look, Kelsey, we have to go back to Hooters and like get our pictures with these people because I forgot that I had my shirt on." So when we went to lunch and I unzipped, I was like, "Oh my God, Toy Story three! I like missed a big photo op." So we go back there. And they, they, then they like all lift me up. They're like, um, and here's the, here's the moral of the story. And they start singing to me. And they, they say, when you're miles and miles from your nice warm bed, you just remember what your old pal said. You got a friend in me. So it was a very sweet moment in the Hooters in Budapest with all these, all these drunk people dressed up as every character from Toy Story at this bachelor party, all these Irish people. Thank you. Thank you, Ben. Um, so this is my first time doing a story. Um, I, didn't, <laughs> um, I didn't plan on doing one tonight. Um, I just kind of jumped into it because I, I don't know. Like right now, I'm kind of in a point in my life where I'm trying to see change in myself every day. So I figured that this could be that change today. Um, so I am, I was born in Madison. Um, I grew up in Cottage Grove, went to Deerfield schools for the first like 10 years of my life. Um, then my family moved up to the Green Bay area. There's a little town called Pulaski. Um, but when we moved up there, the school system was kind of different. Um, they were on a trimester system instead of like just cutting the school year in half or whatever. Um, and they also had these incentive, like incentive programs, incentive uh, trips that you could take if you had grades good enough um, at the end of those trimesters. So the first one was planned to be an ice skating trip, which was like super cool because I'd never gone ice skating. Um, and so I wasn't sure if I was gonna sign up for it, but my friend Katie, um, shout out to Katie, uh, convinced me to go, convinced me to be a part of it or whatever. Um, so we go, I'm not sure what I'm getting myself into. Um, put my skates on, get ready, get on the ice, and immediately I know something's wrong. Um, I have a very like basic grasp on walking, just in general. I'm not super, super put together in that way, um, kind of clumsy. So I get on the ice and know something's wrong right away, um, and I kind of panic. I'm like, well, I can't come here, get off the ice right away. So I kind of like look around, I see they have one of those like ice walkers. Do you know what I'm talking about? So like beeline to that, and by beeline, I mean kind of shuffle over to it, um, I get it, and so I'm like, okay, I gotta do, I gotta be on the ice for like at least five minutes, so it takes me about five minutes to do one lap, just kinda, you know, one of those sort of shifting forward, um, and I get to the end of it, I um, come to the opening where, you know, I got off, off the ice and took those skates off right away, and I hung out with the chaperones for the rest of that, because it wasn't happening. Um, so flash forward two years, uh, I'm in seventh grade, and um, the gym teachers tell us that we're doing a uh, 
rollerblading unit in gym. So again, just like flashbacks to fifth grade Amy not being able to ice skate at all. Um, but you know, it's like, hey, it's we have to do it. It's required. Got to go for it. So I put those blades on. I am super nervous again, and my stability has not improved at all. So I basically put them on and kind of do that again, like shuffle situation. Um, and I got a friend to stay with me. She would, like, well, she knew how to blade, but she would blade along the side of me and um, describe lost episodes. So it was like, it was like a cool bond. Um, but um, out, like one day, I don't know why, and this is totally unsafe, but the teachers again were like, hey, everybody knows how to skate super well, so we're gonna just take it up a notch and we're gonna turn off the lights and put a strobe light on. Um, so I am like full, just full force panicked at this point. Like I am not okay with even like walking, skating, blading. So it is just gonna be rough. Um, but um, so yeah, so they just kind of spring that on us. And I am on the opposite side of the gym that the like the bleachers are on. You know, the bleachers when they're all all put up. And so my plan is I gotta just make it across the gym. I gotta make it over there. I gotta shuffle as fast as I can. And um, so I beeline, and again, by beeline, I just mean sort of shuffle, um, and get over to that side and clasp onto the openings of those bleachers as best as I can while people are spinning around me, you know, doing tricks. They're like, I don't know, triple axles and stuff like that. Um, and I just waited 20 minutes for that to end, kind of like thinking about what my obituary would be and like what my parents would say at my funeral. Um, and just just waiting for it all to end. Um, but yeah, so it was kind of, it was a move forward. It was a move forward, kind of like the story slam, just taking one step at a time, or like glides at a time. Okay, thanks guys. Hey, that's it for us today on Madison Story Slam. Thank you so much for tuning in to hear all of the wonderful stories from our April 2018 event, Child's Play. I had a great time at the event, had a great time putting together this show for you, and so I hope you had a great time listening. Just a reminder that we have a new podcast called Read It and Weep Show. It is a separate show from this show. So if you want to hear people reading their awesome short stories, poetry, letters, diary entries, anything that they wrote before they graduated high school, or anything that they've written that they have at least 10 years separation from, you need to go subscribe to the podcast called Read It and Weep Show. It's tons of fun, let me tell you. We had our first live event for that show last weekend, and it was wonderful. We had 10 people signed up to share their pieces. It was incredible. Those will be coming out over the next couple of weeks and months, and uh, so you should be looking for those. Our next event is this coming Saturday, May 19th. The theme is redemption. Come to the Wilmar Center and have a good time. It's always fun. Have some Ale Asylum. And as always, I love you.